0: Welcome to Hollywood Obsessed with Tony Miros, a podcast that celebrates our endless fascination with the iconic people, locations, and history of the entertainment capital of the world. If you're as obsessed with Hollywood as Tony is, or would like to be, get ready to enjoy another exciting, brand new episode of Hollywood Obsessed. Now, here's your host, Tony Miros. Hello friends, this is your host, Tony Miro, speaking to you from the heart of Tinseltown.
1: On this episode of Hollywood Obsessed, I'm delighted to be speaking with actor Keith Coogan, who made his mark in Hollywood as a child actor in countless TV series and movies. His breakout feature film role in the 1987 comedy Adventures in Babysitting made him a star. He quickly followed that success with the hilarious film Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead and the action-adventure film Toy Soldiers. Born Keith Mitchell, He's the grandson of legendary child actor Jackie Coogan, who was the star of the Charlie Chaplin classic silent film, The Kid. He also later played Uncle Fester in the 1960s TV series, The Adams Family. Keith made his first appearance on TV at age one and a half when he walked on stage and hugged his grandfather on This Is Your Life. He began his acting career doing TV commercials as well as various TV shows and made-for-TV movies. He even did the voice of young Todd, with a charming animated Disney picture, The Fox and the Hound. By the age of seven, he had a recurring role on the ABC family series, Eight is Enough, as a playmate for Adam Rich's Nicholas. The following year, he got his first real chance to shine in the NBC TV movie, A Question of Love, with Oscar-nominated actress, Gina Rowlands. He then joined the cast of CBS's The Waltons for its last season. After a recurring role as Susan Sullivan's son on the hit ABC sitcom, It's a Living, he played an orphan in the CBS TV movie, Tales of the Apple Dumpling Gang, and for its short-lived 1983 spinoff, off Gunshy. After the death of his grandfather in 1984, Keith legally changed his last name to Coogan. Three years later, he made his feature film debut, Adventures in Babysitting. That same year, he was a geek teen cousin to fugitive John Cryer in Hiding Out. Then he went on to play Ted Danson's son in Cousins and had an African adventure in Cheetah, His recent credits include the feature films Dawn Patrol, Limelight, and A Creepy Turn in Lifetime Television's A Tale of Two Quarries. He was also most recently seen on screen in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. I could go on forever about his credits, but I'd rather hear it from him directly. So let's just start our conversation. Hey Keith, thank you so much for joining me here on Hollywood Obsessed. Oh well
2: thank you. Uh it's great to be here especially in this busy uh for your consideration or FYC season. <laughs> <laughs> lots of good movies out there, huh? Uh lots of good movies. I think uh I mean we saw everywhere everything everywhere all at once uh at the DGA. Yeah. In the big screen and it I think it I think that's it. I think that's the big best. We've seen most of them I think, right? I haven't seen we haven't seen The Whale. Oh,
1: The yeah, Whale pretty great.
2: impressive. I loved Elvis.
1: What did you think of Elvis?
2: Oh, yeah. Elvis is great. It's a Boz Luhrmann picture. I love Baz Luhrmann pictures. Yeah. It's, someone said it's not an Elvis movie directed by Boz Luhrmann. It's a Baz Luhrmann picture about Elvis. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs>
1: That's a good one. I like that. Your family ties with Hollywood and the film industry go way back to the silent era. I mean, the legacy of your family your grandfather was in The Kid. Charlie Chaplin's The Kid. Was he the very, very first child star? Do you know?
2: I like to call him the world's first film child star because there were child theater, child film stars. There were ones that played bits, maybe in two reelers. But uh, it was because Chaplin had such a international release for his first Feature it was over 60 minutes Mm -hmm. Um, that uh, and that was yeah that was his first feature and it was just uh, Chaplin they found between Keaton and Lloyd uh, that Chaplin used a third of the interstitials that the other two filmmakers used so he did it all in pantomime rather than title cards and uh, it made it easier to translate it into other languages because all you do is just replace the title card and there were fewer to replace for Chaplin pictures, and they were able to get him out really quick. To you know, Chaplin also made a bunch when he got under contract for Mutual or First National. He kept pumping out, you know, great two-reelers. As a matter of fact, in the middle of filming the kid, he got called by his film company and they said, Okay, you owe us, owe us one. And he goes, Well, actually, I'm working on one, it's gonna take a while. It actually took a year and a day to film the kid, no script. And they go, Well, you owe us a picture, and he goes, Fine. And he stopped production of the kid. Ran to San, San Pedro or Port of L.A. and downtown in L.A. and shot um, A Day's Pleasure, which is a short you can see Jackie in. And he's he's, a, you know, the youngest he was in the kid and Chaplin handed that in and continued filming. Um, but uh, the film of the Coogans being on film goes back another generation to my great grandfather, uh, Jack Coogan, Sr., who did. Buster Keaton and Fatty Arbuckle, two reelers. And there's two of them that are on YouTube, uh, Backstage and Hayseed.
1: Oh, my God. I'm going to have to look at those. Yeah, That sounds yeah. wonderful. You really have a legacy, boy. I, I, was, <laughs> I, I have the book. I have Chaplin's autobiography. And today I looked through it to see if he mentions your grandfather. And there is a funny story there about <laughs> your grandfather and having to you do a crying scene. Do you know the story?
2: Yes. Uh, and there's, it, sometimes it gets kind of with the, uh, Jackie Cooper story, but, uh, you know, they were pretty straightforward with Jackie. Uh, and I remember hearing a version of the story. I'd love to hear how Chaplin says it in his book, but it, uh, Jack Coogan pulled him aside and he goes, look, there's a time to bring it. And there's a time, you know, there's times where you can, you know, walk through it or do your stick. There's also times where you got to bring it. And they're gonna spot a phony cry on screen. And seriously, if you don't pull this off, we'll be broke. We might wind up in a poorhouse like those kids. So it wasn't a direct threat of "I'll send you to the poorhouse." He was just setting him straight. These are the stakes. Your whole career is at stake right now. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that when he's screaming for him, um, he's screaming, "Daddy, Dad, I want my you know, I want my daddy." And uh, Chaflin goes jackie you could see his mouth say jackie and i think in the script his name is john and my grandfather's real name was john mm-hmm. um so i just there you know they were tight um and created a lot of the story and played together there's these great behind the scene photos in the Chaplin archive of them climbing sets and uh riding bikes and uh It's uh, uh, so how does he say it? uh, It, Well, I'll just give you
1: the last little section, because, of course, Chaplin's writing his book and it's about his life. So he has to make it a little dramatic. It was a scene where I rescue the boy from the workhouse officials. And while he's weeping, I hug and kiss him. When it was over, I asked the father, how did you get him to cry? And this is in quotes. I just told them that if he didn't, if that, if he didn't, we take him away from the studio and really send him to the workhouse. I turned to Jackie and picked him up in my arms to console him. His cheeks were still wet with tears. They're not going to take you away, I said. I knew it, he whispered. Daddy was only fooling.
2: I love that. That's great. That's okay. so great. So there's a few levels of BS in there because I know my <laughs> great-grandfather would have said that anyway, no matter what he said to little Jackie. He would say some kind of you know smart aleck remark like that. Mm. For a minute there in the Urban Dictionary, there was a, a a verb to coogan somebody, uh, and to coogan someone was to, in one motion, with one hand you grab them by the lapels and pull them towards you, and in the other you punch and then elbow them at the same time. <laughs> Boom! They go, and you've been cooganed. I love that. That's so they, he was um, the worst of the womanizers and the drinkers and the you know uh, of everything that you know today Hollywood has said time to move on from the bad behavior my great-grandfather did kind of embody that in a everybody else is doing it kind of a way um but jackie
1: became a huge star like i read somewhere he was like the number one star in the world and that he made like four million dollars as a kid
2: yes he had uh in uh, 1923 he had two movies come out circus days and daddy and that put him above douglas fairbanks and uh uh, uh, Rudolph Valentino, that's amazing, and uh, but he was very humble about it. Uh, the next year, uh, he was overtaken by a dog, Rin Tin Tin. So, <laughs> damn, Rin Tin Tin, <laughs> damn you Rin Tin Tin. And then, ironically, him and Buster Keaton cameoed in Wonton Ton Tan, the dog that saved Hollywood. <laughs> oh my god, I remember that movie that was like that, that great, it was in the Bruce 70s Stern or something, wasn't it? Something and, like yep. that. Yeah, Bruce Dern, Billy Barty, right? Uh, fantastic send up of uh, of Hollywood people. More the people scratching around the edges, trying to you know make it in Hollywood.
1: But the one thing that I don't think a lot of people know about your uh, grandfather is that he he was he was broke at twenty one because his family had pretty much taken his money, and he sued them. Right?
2: Yes. So he had earned between two and four million dollars. On studio books, it was about 2 million, but then there was another 2 million of merchandising. So, my grandfather was one of the first heavily merchandised stars with uh, peanut butter uh, tins, pencil uh, holders, sheet music, official haircuts, every kind of little button and figurine that you could imagine. They made a a pewter uh, Rolls Royce hood ornament that you could order with, with the little kid on there. Um, and so my grandfather was getting cuts of this. It went to the Jackie Coogan productions. So my great-grandfather and great-grandmother, they had publicly already been totally cheating on each other. My great-grandfather was very showgirls and you know, up and coming starlets. My great-grandmother with uh the accountant, the family accountant, uh Arthur Bernstein. <laughs> so when a terrible tragedy happened edging towards my grandfather's 21st birthday, there was a car wreck and, uh, uh, five people in the car, four people passed away. So my great grandfather died. Uh, junior Durkin who played Huck Finn in the Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn movies. My grandfather's first Hockeys were Tom wow. Sawyer and Huck Finn. Um, junior Durkin, uh, passed, uh, a writer for Jackie Coogan productions and the, uh, Coogan ranch, had a uh, the ranch, a ranch hander head of the ranch, ranch manager,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, whose family sued our family and the a car went off the road, either forced off the road by another car, someone was going too fast, um, and uh, that uh, my grandfather held my great grandfather in his arms as he died. My grandfather lived, uh, had broken ribs and collarbone and stuff, but he he you know, um, made it through. So he. Finally came of age, went for his money and found out that, uh, it was gone and it had all been spent. So, um, they, uh, my, they found when they dug into the books, my great grandfather had 80,000 out on the books of Mm. Jack and productions. Mm. That's it. 80 grand. And that was for whining and dining and taking people out to clubs. Um, a little bit of flash, uh, the other rest of the money, there was the lawsuit in L.A., um, which is interesting because a minor's, uh signing a contract, it's unenforceable. Mm-hmm. If you're under 18, that's not a value. You can't sign a contract if you're under 18 in California. So the Coogan Act, um, so we lost it because uh, at the time, a minor's earnings are community property of the household. And the family right. had every right to spend the money. So 48 hours after the trial ended, they drafted the Coogan Act child actor labor bill uh it's it's in effect in about five states in some various forms um other states may put um protections but um this one says three hours of schooling um you can do up to five in a day and bank two Mm -hmm. and then do one the next day say it's a heavy day uh so you can you can minimum is one hour of school only if you banked right um I actually sold banked. I had 20 (laughs) hours of bank, and we sold it for one production to the other. And they go, (laughs) Legally, we can't do that. We can't trade money for that time. They go, What can we do? And they go, Mm -hmm. Buy them books. And so he took that value of school, and I got encyclopedias and books, and it was great. (laughs) My education was enriched. They also do um, background checks on it, also work with minors. They siphon off fifteen percent of the money now into a Coogan account. Uh, this is a blocked trust account. Uh that when a child turns eighteen, uh, they can go and the kid has to play nice. They can't, you know, be mean to their, their parents who have driven around all the auditions and, and say, you know, as soon as I turn eighteen, I'm gonna go get my money. Right. Be nice because you need your social security, uh, form of photo ID. And your birth certificate. Mm. Without those three pieces, you're not going to be able to get your money. And mom's probably holding on to them. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's amazing that the Coogan uh, Act is there and that it's there to protect the kids that are doing these films. I don't think a lot of people know that. That is because of your grandfather.
2: Yeah. And working hour restrictions. And so it starts at, at infancy. You can work an hour on the set. And that's Mm -hmm. why they use twins to get a little more time or Mm -hmm. behavioral. This one's not crying. We need the one that's crying. Swap them out. Um, As you get older, up to 15, 16 years old, you can work a 10-hour day, a 12-hour day. Mm -hmm. You still need three hours of school, one hour of recreation, one hour of lunch. And so it's hard for a kid to compete with an adult who can work those full 12 hours. You know what I mean? It's hard in a production to have to lean on a kid as a lead. And sure. they started doing that in the eighties, thanks to John Hughes and um some really talented and successful child actors that showed they could carry a picture.
1: Did you always want to be in the movies? I mean, did you know about your grandfather's work or no
2: no uh my uh, mother was a young mother and uh kind of ran away from home uh setting up house in sacramento uh and I just, I wanted to be on TV. I was watching Sesame Street, Electric Company, Zoom, Via Allegra. Uh, and I said, I want to be on TV. And my mom goes, well, you got to get an agent and then you got to do commercials and then you probably learn jingles. And then you're going to move up to guest appearances and eventually, I think, uh, sounds like a lot of work. So I was <laughs> disinterested immediately. And then about six months later, my mom said that I came into the room and sang, you know, the Oscar Mayer Wiener commercial. And I looked, you know, like, Uh, it was like chewing glass, uh, but I finished it and I said, okay, I'm ready to do what I was ready to humiliate myself to be on TV. I was like, all right, I'll do whatever it takes. And, uh, it was fun. Every step of the way I've had fun on every set. Um, working on a set is, uh, is, is my jam. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i I loved I mean, I looked at the list of shows and I, those were all the shows I grew up watching like the Waltons and the love Boat and Fantasy I mean, Island like what was like what was that like with Herbie Velazquez on that set that must have been awesome
2: yeah I mean, these are shows I'm watching as a kid and of course fantasy Island was great to be on I did two uh fantasy Island and uh hervey was I was taller than hervey that was just nice to have someone more intimidating than me on the set. And he was great. He had a weapon. Everyone knew. they got, He's got a thirty-eight right here in his coat, his little white jacket. Okay, cool. You know, in the, in the 70s, everyone had guns. Everyone had guns in the 70s. And cocaine. Lots of cocaine. <laughs> Why is everyone playing backgammon? They're not. Okay, never mind. Never mind.
1: <laughs> uh, um, I saw a documentary. <laughs> it's on Amazon. I just searched your grandfather's name and it came up hollywood's children and i saw it it's a great documentary about child actors and charles dollars and there's a wonderful part with you and your grandfather um on the beach talking about him you following his footsteps were you close did you did we did did he was he supportive of of you doing what he did
2: yeah he was also um a uh you know more a klaxon siren warning on um Watch your money, be careful of mothers. That was his, he, he said that to Wednesday and Pugsley on the set of Adams family. I have sacrificed a lot for you kids. And you know, and it, <laughs> he he expected them and me to act as an adult, he wouldn't help me with my lines because that's your job. I'm not gonna do your job for you. Uh, but he he said that it's hard to get um a bunch of adults on a set to listen to a child. Mm-hmm. So keep your mouth shut most of the time. And when you have something important to say, Hey, that's going to fall on that guy. Or I think I should walk in from over there. Or then stand in the middle of the room, kind of get some attention and go, Hey, and in a loud, clear voice, say what, and maybe you'll be listened to. And, um, what was great about doing the seventies television was, and he was also doing, he did just on Brady Bunch and, uh, Perry Masons and Wild Wild Wests, and so he was working concurrently while I was working. I went, I visited the set of the Adams Family Christmas Halloween Special, the bad made-for-TV video movie they made. It was oh my god! It was like the last uh, one
1: they did, right with with Carolyn oh, yep.
2: Jones, yeah. And I got to go on the set of The Escape Artist, a zoetrope film starring Griffin Dunn and Raúl Julia. Interesting. Um, so. <laughs> We were very tight. I he passed when I was 14 and they would spend summers with us. So my grandparents had retired to Palm Springs. Too hot there. They'd come out here to LA and uh, spend the summers with us. And he got me how to play chess. And uh he was also a very um demanding on money and bets. So money was always an issue with him. Uh I you know, it, it was a huge wool for him. So if we made a bet, bet you a dollar that this that's the fastest thing. Okay, and as soon as we would run to the encyclopedia, or the dictionary, the Guinness Book of World Record, prove you wrong, and then go, okay, pay up. If it was gin rummy, and you know we're playing penny a point, whatever, and it's dollar thirty, great. <laughs> okay, I owe you dollar thirty. Go get it. Well, I, go get your piggy bust. Give me the dollar thirty now. So he always needed his money now.
1: <laughs> right. That's amazing. I loved watching him on the Addams Family, and now with Wednesday, the show on Netflix, and it just keeps going and going. Do you like go, Oh yeah, that is granddad. No, uncle fester. Oh, ever come to you about that.
2: Oh God, more than that. I think that it is, you know, there was no portrayal. I'm not going to go as far as the rest of my family does on it, but there was no on screen portrayal. There was just the, uh, you know, the static uh, comic strip. And, um, oh, and uh, Adam had to come up with names. There were no names for everybody even named the child pubert they said yeah <laughs> can't do pubert we'll go okay pugsley fine and they saved it for uh adams family values pubert when uh... <laughs> that's right the little baby yeah. is
1: called pubert that's right yeah
2: they brought they brought that gag back so that was an original charles adams um gag <laughs> the name of Hubert. um and so i thought that after and my grandfather fought hard for that role he auditioned he didn't get it round of other actors and you know everyone's kind of getting the hair and the makeup going and uh, my grandmother catches him shaving his eyebrows and the rest of his hair and you know putting the makeup in the dark circles and he found a, a death cloak you know and went in in full costume and uh and uh my grandmother goes what are you doing it's only an audition and my grandfather said i've never auditioned for anything before he would never had to and he really really wanted it so he was full of joy in doing it they pounded out a lot of episodes back then i think they did 54 episodes (gasps) a season or something look it up you'll be shocked it's at least in the 30s i think there's a total of 50 i don't know look it up you'll go oh they really pumped them out um and they had a fun, a lot of fun doing it. He did fight with the director. I heard a great story. Um, oh God, I wish I could remember the director's name. Um, <laughs> it's better when I can remember the director's name. Let's say Stanley. So, uh, and uh, they're fighting over a gag or a bit. And my grandfather goes to storm off, and he hits the door when he turns around, and he goes, "Don't fight with me. Uh, I sued my own mother." <laughs> <laughs> um, and he'd fall asleep on set and snore and ruin takes Jack wake up you're ruining the take um, but he did he doted over um, Wednesday and Pugsley definitely and him and uh, John Aston had an amazing bits of physical comedy and uh, and quick banter and and uh, it, was, it was me and Sean would watch those together oh look what they did there oh look at that oh look how they handed the prop off to, oh when did they switch the cigar there's a point where they run into each other and <laughs> all of a sudden the cigar is in gomez's mouth or it's in fester's mouth it's great so um that was a neat and working with sean on toy soldiers brought it all the way around again um
1: did you know sean before toy soldiers or
2: it was since, only since
1: growing up absolutely since growing up
2: everyone yep yep and my grandfather loved patty or anna
1: patty duke patty duke yep yeah. Wow, what a, I mean again? You're you're a kid. You, you're like hanging out with you know Gomez Adam's son and you know the Patty Duke, Patty Duke from the Patty Duke show. It's like pretty
2: interesting, different. It, it was, and it was like everyone's grandparents made brag a bit, yeah, the big game or what I did in the war or whatever. Uh, it is. I built a company, and, uh, but um, I thought they were full of it, so that you know this and the pig and all the money and the cars and the houses and like yeah yeah right um and you know they talk about uh you know visiting a city and the crowd would be so big they'd have to lift his car on their shoulders to get it out of there and i go you're full of it until the internet (laughs) and when the internet came along and i was able to research and look back and find a newspaper photo of the crowd lifting his car above their heads to get him out of there. And I went, Oh, okay. He had a, he was very braggy in a way. And I think that was a way to claim. He didn't have the money, but he could claim the status from right. being the first film child star. he said, mm-hmm. most kids went to go see Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth came to see me. Um, he said uh, stuff like, Oh, when he got the flu one time, he goes, I got the flu, and I pushed the president off the front page of the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, he had an uh, uh, amazing um, funeral, a lot of love. The, he was friends with the Bowery Boys, the Dead End Kids, Hunts Hall, Gabe Dell. They all showed up. Gabe Dell took a picture of my grandfather in his casket. We're Catholics, so it was an open casket. And you can find that picture at findadeath.com. Thank you, Gabe Dell. I mean, those dead end kids, Bowery Boys, were cast for a reason in the original uh theater production and then with the movies that they did, they were troublemakers. Yeah. Total troublemakers. Um uh, John Aston and I eulogized him. Um, and uh hundreds of people came out. He's at Holy Cross uh, in Culver City. At, in Culver uh, City, yeah. Yeah, and a great grandfather's in. Catholic cavalry uh, out in Downey, the first cemetery built outside of LA city limits.
1: Hmm. You grew up around a lot of other child actors and a lot, and some of whom are no longer with us, like Adam rich. I know you were with him
2: on "It Is enough, right? Twice. I played, uh, Adam's friend who ran away from home and he was hiding in a tent in the backyard, mm-hmm. uh, in the kid who came to dinner. And then another one, it was a B storyline, uh, smaller part, but I loved Adam. We also shared a role, uh, in, uh, Gunshy Tales of the Apple Dumpling Gang. This was a pilot and a six episode series.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I did the pilot and, uh, was replaced by Adam rich for the series. And okay. They replaced the whole cast except for um, Henry Jones, who, mm-hmm. you know, great yeah. legendary older character actor. So um, after two episodes, they called us up and they said, we would love to have you come back. They let Adam go. Said he was growing a little mustache and, you know, operating and go, he's too old for the part now. And we let Keith come back. So, um, and they go, he can come back at the same, you know, terms as the original. My mom's like, nah, it's going to be like twice as much. Actually, I shouldn't talk about that stuff. Disney's (laughs) involved. Um, and, uh, so I finished the run four episodes, but they aired them out of order. So I'm in the first four episodes of the series and then Adam, so it looks like Adam Rich replaced me in the show, which he did, but actually he replaced me. Then I replaced him. again. it was, it's hard to explain, but there was no love. We... Never were bitter about that. They did things like pit kids against each other. So they have a kid that's kind of hot, and they want him, but they don't want to pay his rate. And they go, well, all of a sudden they bring in two other kids and they screen test them, and that mm-hmm. scares the agent and the other kid. He goes, just take the deal. And so we learn quick by eight, you're hept to this. You walk and you go, Christian Slater's going to get the part. River Phoenix is going to get. Corey Hayes is going to get the part you know what it's like to walk into a Goonies audition and it's like nine kids. And there's only like five parts. You're like, Hey, um, who's everyone going out for this? There's, there's a couple people, double cast, you know? And I asked Corey Feldman, I go, who are you going up for? And he goes mouth. And I'm like, I was going up for mouth. I was like, there's no way I go. You're a mouth. I can cast you right now. You're Mouth." um, <clears throat> yeah, I got to go up for ET and Goonies and gremlins, um, stand by me Christmas story. Uh, so many uh explorers mosquito coast um uh believing the cube uh what's the one um with slater written by tarantino but oh, true, romance, true romance i i auditioned for clarence and true romance and now i knew and there's look i also auditioned for the boy dobler which i knew i would they go it's supposed to be like 17 i'm like Movie to 17 is different than real 17. Same <laughs> with same with those. Um yeah, sometimes you go up for things. I went up for the the Kirk Cameron part in Growing Pains. Wow. Didn't get it, but wound up as a guest, uh guest on Growing Pains later. Yeah, fun to do all of that TV. It was a lot of TV, but everyone was doing a lot of stuff. When I have other friends of ours, we have a former child star secret society and uh there is. There's 100 hundred, two hundred of us. And it includes Broadway and stuff like that. Um, that if you're singer dance, if you made a living, you paid your parents gas bill as a child, then you're in the group. Um I'd love and, that. The uh, secret and child. And we have our, our Venn diagram. Of, oh look, you did a oh, you did a Morgan Mindy. Oh, you also did it, you know, it's it's funny. Then there's got. the one you're like you're jealous because someone did a show. I was like, oh, you did. I never did a Norman Lear show. I was just jealous of people that got on Norman Lear shows. Oh yeah,
1: that that would have been awesome. Uh, you should write that as a script, Keith. Like that secret child actor group. That would make actually a very <laughs> funny script.
2: Well, I have um, a I story idea called the uh, the B List, and they're having a huge Golden Globe type TV movie, you know, awards event a fet, if you will, in LA and all the press are there, all the top George, Pernac, everyone's there. And uh, a meteor comes, strikes and takes up the Dorothy Chandler. It's terrible. Everyone, everyone, the lead newscasters, the sports people that everyone's gone. So immediately movies and TVs have to turn to the B list, which is all of the old former child stars and <laughs> semi scandal ridden people. I love that. <laughs>
1: Speaking of award shows, you sang and danced at the Oscars? Was this the one that Alan Carr produced?
2: Yes, the one and only production that Alan Carr uh, helmed. He was fresh off of Grease 2, I think. I'm not sure if it was fresh off of, but so they had no host that year. They went with family. So it was husband and wife and people that were coupled up and, and and father son and it was it was precious it was darling they had two musical numbers that year the first everybody I remember remembers that. I remember that one No White and Rob Lowe and Lucille Ball, Sid Sharice, Bob Hope in a wretched you know proud Mary keep on turning number and then uh, later in the uh, program um, we did a young Hollywood number with 19 Nepo babies. Uh, I think 17 of us were literally direct relatives of, of, uh, old Hollywood. And, um, we did a 12 minute number and sang and danced our butt off, uh, direct, uh, choreographed by Kenny Ortega. We rehearsed for weeks, uh, co-starred, um, uh, Tricia and Jolie Fisher, Ricky Lake, um, Carrie Hamilton. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. Um, Corey Feldman, Christian Slater, Patrick Dempsey, Melora Harden, Blair Underwood. I've got. a blanking on so many names. Um, it was. It's it's something. Is it really the Oscars finally posted a really high quality version of the whole number? I and mean, you got to see it. It's great. And I it was amazing. Really, they said it's the first year we're opening up the broadcast, the live broadcast of the Soviet bloc. Oh, what's that mean? that means that a billion people will be watching. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep in the front row and everything. It was great. Was that the first and
1: only Oscars you've ever been to? Have you been to the Oscars ever since?
2: No, I'm, that's the first and only Oscars I've been to.
1: Well, I mean, it's notable. I mean,
0: was Alan, the Carr, shrine?
1: Alan it was Carr was classic. banned. I think he was never allowed to do the show again.
2: <laughs> it ruined his career. Ugh. Just that one number. Well, don't step on Disney's toes, man. It's their intellectual property.
1: Speaking of Disney, I did not know that you did the voice in The Fox and Hound, right?
2: Yeah. Um, The one thing my family said as a young child, they said, uh, you do whatever you want. Just don't get caught. Don't get it in the press. Uh, It'll ruin your chance to work for Disney. Disney's the brand that's going to be there forever. It is, if you get a fan young, then you could have a fan for the rest of your life. I'm like, okay, I understand that. You want to be always fan, fan family friendly. Um, you could do movies that are not family friendly. That's fine. But don't ruin your life to the point that you're unhirable by mm-hmm. one of the biggest companies in the world. Um, and so I have a long relationship with Disney from the um, first job. I I got a background role on the cat from outer space. <laughs> and I, it's two kids hired to skateboard in the back of a shot. And, you know, a couple of leads are there half of a day shooting outside. Probably outside of literally it might've been outside of MGM studios for some reason. That's my memory. And uh, the scene was cut out. So I was not in the movie anyway, moves on to um, being in the, Fox and the Hound, the voice of the Fox and the Hound. Then we did the Tales of the Apple Dumpling Gang. I also was in Spooner, a movie of the week, one of the Disney Sunday movies, directed by the just this week past George Miller. Not the Mm -hmm. Mad Max George Miller. He's literally known as the other George Miller. (laughs) And uh, that starred Robert Uric, Kate Kaczmierczak, and um, fantastic uh, little cast. Then I did Adventures in Babysitting for Touchstone. Um, then I did the cheetah for just Disney, Walt Disney pictures. And then, uh, in the army now, uh, uh, was, um, Hollywood pictures, which is also Disney. Right. So five, six projects. This is throughout your life. Love them. Yes. I also auditioned for Lion King. It was called Hamlet, the Lion King at the time and Contract for Notre Dame. Although Tom Hulse got the part. He's good. He's, he's pretty good yeah but those disney fans i mean those disney fans are
1: they're lifers yeah
2: do these do you ever like
1: you ever go to their conventions like i'm sure they like oh my god
2: you know we did d23 once and it was fantastic and but it's not that's this is the beauty of fox and i love it (laughs) you could be at um a horror convention in new jersey And everyone's tatted up with Freddy and Jason and and classic Hammer horror, Frankenstein and Dracula and stuff. And they'll come up and look at your table and ah, toy soldiers. That's fine. There's babysitting movies. Oh, I didn't know you were the voice of Todd from Fox and the Hound. Yeah, man. They lose their (laughs) minds when, and then it is an honor, and I totally recognize that. I cannot tell you how you know it, it. It was one of the last of the of the wise old men the original nine animators at Disney that animated on Snow White and Pinocchio and, and, uh, Peter Pan. And, um, they were handing it off to the new kids, Tim Burton, John Lasseter, Brad Bird. It is just, um, everybody worked on it. And I worked for every CEO of Disney as I was growing up. Um, and so, yeah, I, me, Disney love them. And unfortunately recording, voices for an animated movie here alone at a mic they have an a b and c stage and this huge stage that also serves as a foley stage there's a pool table in the middle of it and uh you just there's nothing to look at they haven't done the animation yet you've seen some character sketches on the fox and the hound they'd have us do a scene and then take six months off Then we'd come back and they'd have animated that scene and then we'd do another scene and Sandy Duncan did an interview where she said by the third time she came in, the nose of the character started looking like her. (laughs) And uh, and there's, I've noticed a little resemblance between Todd and myself at that age. And I still have the rough, raspy kind of voice. Yeah. Uh, Still have it. Although I'm 53 now, so it's tough to imitate. We'll always be friends forever, won't we? (laughs) Hiya. My name's Todd. I'm a fox. Does it sound um, pathetic at this age to be doing dialogue from when you were
0: eight? <laughs> I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, I've done, done lots of Disney conventions with other voices um, and uh, panels, you know, panels with five of us that were all kid actors and we did voices for Disney. And uh, it, it is a, an amazing legacy. And I'm lucky enough that Fox and Out, Hound, although not included in the original Black Diamond label, puffy clamshell VHS case run of the Disney classics... It was subsequently now added and is the last of the classically animated Disney pictures. Just like I use a lot of qualifiers for my grandfather's career, the, f- the first world's first film child star, Fox of the Helm, was the last classically animated Disney film.
1: Thanks for listening to part one of my conversation with actor Keith Coogan. On the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed, Keith and I discuss how he got cast in the hit 1987 comedy Adventures in Babysitting what it was like working with actress Elizabeth Shue, and later with actress Christina Applegate on the movie Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, as well as his childhood memory of playing Cindy Williams' son in a special episode of the classic TV sitcom Laverne and Shirley. All that and more on the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed. This is your host,
0: Tony Miros. See you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Hollywood Obsessed. Make sure to visit our Facebook page, Hollywood Obsessed Podcast where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a single episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in every other Monday for our next episode. That's a wrap.